Well, so far, we've talked a little bit about what the Bible is and what the Bible is about. But I want to conclude the introduction by talking about a really fundamental question to this whole study. And that's the question, is there, in fact, a story to Scripture? Now, if there's not, then I suppose this study isn't going to be very worthwhile. So obviously, I must think that there is a story to Scripture. But if that's the case, I want to ask, how do we know that? Like, how do you know, or how do I know, that, that we're not just imposing our own story, or our own thoughts, onto the text of Scripture? And these are really important, very legitimate questions. I can't provide an exhaustive answer to them in this uh, short talk, but I do want to try to provide three reasons why I believe that the Scripture does have a story to tell, a single unified story. The first sign, the first and most important sign that the Bible does tell a single unified story is that Jesus himself teaches us this very thing. This is how he looks at the Bible. You see, Jesus himself saw that he was the focal point and culmination of all the scriptures that had been written before him. For example, in the Gospel of John, in the fifth chapter, Jesus is interacting with a bunch of other Jewish people who many of whom hate him and want to kill him, but they know their Bibles. And Jesus says some things that are striking in John chapter 5. He tells these guys, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. See, Jesus knows the diligence with which these guys study the scriptures. Yet he rebukes them for failing to see that those very scriptures are pointing them to him. And what Jesus says a few verses later in John 5 is even more pointed. He says, guys, don't think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. Because if you believed Moses, you would believe me, because Moses wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Now that is an astonishing claim. I don't know how well that went over. Actually, I don't think it went over very well. And we may have some questions about what he means. I mean, Jesus is saying Moses wrote about Jesus. We might say, well, what exactly did Jesus mean by that? Or how much did Moses know about Jesus? Or how directly did Moses write about Jesus? But the point right now is simply that Jesus saw that the previous scriptures, the ones before him, were pointing to him and what God was going to do through him. Near the beginning of his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, we find the same sort of thing. Jesus makes an astonishing claim at the beginning of that sermon. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, Don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, by the law or the prophets, Jesus is referring to the whole Old Testament. He says, don't think I've come to overthrow the law and the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I mean, Jesus is claiming that he is the one person to whom all the previous scriptures pointed. And that he's the one person in whom all of God's promises find their fulfillment. 
Now, can you imagine, can you even imagine someone claiming something like that today? Now, maybe you don't agree with Jesus, okay? But whether you agree with him or not, I don't want you to miss the point that Jesus believed that the scriptures pointed to him and what God was going to do through him. And for one final example of that, of how Jesus looked at the scriptures, you could look at the last part of the Gospel of Luke, some of the last words recorded that Jesus said. By the end of the Gospel of Luke, the third gospel, Jesus has not only been crucified by the Romans, he has also been raised from the dead. And in the final chapter, Luke records several conversations that Jesus has on the very same day that he was raised from the dead. In Luke chapter 24, Luke introduces us to two followers of Jesus who are really confused about what's happened lately. How Jesus had died, that was confusing, and then they started to hear some rumors that maybe Jesus was alive again, and they don't know what to think about this. Well, while these two guys are talking together, Jesus himself comes up to them and asks them what they're talking about. And for whatever reason, we're not told, these guys don't recognize Jesus right away. Instead, they answer his question. They tell him what's been happening over the last few days. But then this is what Jesus says to those two confused guys. He tells them how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then this is what Luke says. It says that Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, explained to those two guys what was said in all the scriptures about himself. A short time later, a very similar thing happens where Jesus appears to many more of his followers who are struggling with fear and disbelief and joy when they see him. And Jesus speaks to them and tells them why everything has happened the way that it has. And he points them to the law, the prophets, and the, and the Psalms to show that all the things that happened to him were promised. That he had to go through these things to fulfill the scriptures. So my first sign that there is actually a story to the scripture is simply that Jesus himself believed this and he taught this. Now, the second sign that the Bible tells a single story is what we find in the transitional points in the Bible, what I like to call the seams of Scripture. The transitions from one book of the Bible to another or from one section of the Bible to another show us that the Bible is not an aimless collection of religious ideas and thoughts that have just been thrown together. No, the Bible is actually going somewhere. And the authors and the compilers of the Bible knew this. Here are just two illustrations from the first couple of books of the Bible. You don't need to know the details of these stories to be able to follow along. The first book of the Bible, called Genesis, is 50 chapters long. But do you know how it ends? From Genesis 37 to chapter 50, the last 14 chapters, you find one single story about a great guy named Joseph and how God had used Joseph to rescue his family. With, the last, with his last words, though, Joseph makes his family swear that when God comes to help them and to deliver them out of Egypt, that his family will make sure to remember to take his bones out of Egypt to the new place that God is going to take them. Now, 
whether you know very little or a lot about Joseph, I'm confident that you can tell that must not be the end of that story. I mean, to have 14 chapters about this guy and then have it end with, hey, when God does what he says and delivers us out of this land, make sure you don't forget my bones down here in Egypt. We think that scene may be the end of a book of the Bible, but that's clearly not the end of the story, is it? There has to be more. We have to keep reading. And that's my point. The whole Bible is like that. Now, someone might say, well, of course, the book of Genesis ends kind of on a cliffhanger, wanting you to read more. But that's because Moses wrote five books. So clearly, the first book of Moses isn't going to tell the end of the story. But I would say, what if you actually look at the end of the fifth book of Moses, the end of all the books that he wrote? Do you think it ends the story? If you go to that book, the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, the last book of Moses, you won't find the end of the story. In fact, if you look at that last book, Deuteronomy, in that book, Moses, who has been leading God's people, Israel, for 40 years, and he's been doing a great job for the most part, he's been told that he is going to die and that he will not be able to lead these people into the promised land. So the book of Deuteronomy basically records his last words to the people before he dies. And one thing that's pretty interesting is if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 18, this is kind of the middle of this last book that Moses wrote. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, Moses tells the people, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. <clears throat> and then God himself chimes in and God says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their fellow Israelites. And I'll put my words in that prophet's mouth. And that prophet will tell them everything that I command him. And I myself, this is God speaking, will call to account anyone who doesn't listen to my words that that prophet speaks in my name. And again, we don't need to know all the details at this point. It's enough to note that Moses and God predict that one day, someday, God will raise up a prophet like Moses. And he'll be so great, in fact, that if you don't listen to what he says, God's going to judge you for it. But what I want to point out is how does the book then end? Because here's this promise that God's going to raise up a prophet, but how does it end? Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 5, we find Moses, the servant of the Lord, died, just like the Lord had said. But then Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10, here's where the whole section of the books of Moses ends. It says, Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Do you see it? Do you feel it? Do you see how the end stirs us to want to keep on reading? I mean, Moses promised, God promised to raise up a prophet like him. And the end of the entire section says, you know what? I've never seen that prophet yet. Do you see how the end of the books of Moses is clearly not the end of the story? 
The Bible is going somewhere. The Bible has a story to tell. And it's pushing us to keep turning the pages. And over and over again, you're going to see that sort of thing at the transitional points in the Bible. Whether we're talking the end of an individual book, or the end of a section of books, or even the end of the whole Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. The seams of Scripture repeatedly show us that the Bible has direction. It has a story to tell. The final piece of evidence that there's a story to Scripture is found through simply comparing the first part of the Bible and the last part of the Bible. Looking at how the Bible begins and how the Bible ends is one of the best things to do to see that there's a story in this book. Specifically, if you look at the very last book of the Bible and how it ends, the book of Revelation, what you find is that the author of that last book of the Bible knew that there was a story that began in the first pages of the Bible. And he knew when he wrote that last book that he was seeing the end. And that he wrote it in such a way that it would be a compelling and satisfying ending to the entire Bible's unified story. Now, for the most part, I'm going to leave it to you to see what, how that plays out and, and to uncover all the ways that the first three chapters of the Bible and the last three chapters of the Bible interlock. But here are just two things you could note. Genesis 1 verse 1, the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But then, Revelation 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. See, they're interlocking. And second, you could just pay attention to what is said about the tree of life in the first three chapters of the Bible, especially by the end of the third chapter, the way to the tree of life is barred. No one can get to the tree of life anymore. But in the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, you'll find the tree of life all over the place. And the path to that tree has been opened wide forever for all who've put their trust and hope in Jesus to come and eat of the tree of life. Is there a story to scripture? There most certainly is. But what is it? How do we find it? How do we follow it when we read? My hope is that this study will be just one tool that God uses to help you grasp what the story of the Bible is that it helps you trace that story as you read on your own. And my hope is that this study will help you to be able to see and embrace the vital role that you have to play in God's unfolding story.